0: Thank you for reading Sleepy Hollow to us. What I really loved about this particular tale is ultimately poor Ichabod's fate is up to the interpretation of the reader. I always love it when things are left up to my interpretation. Thank you, Bill. Have a good night. Hi, Bill. This is Des. So I'm really enjoying the podcast, and I wanted to thank you for inviting me into your library. It's fabulous in here. If- full-on believer that it is a ghost story, and I believe that Ichabod was chased down by a ghost rather than Brom. I've always been a fan of ghost stories anyway since I was a kid. One of the earliest books I read was about ghosts, so my family always thought I was weird about that, but whatever. <laughs> get this more comfortable feeling of hearing you speak these stories at night. It makes my heart Race at times, but you ease my heart with the stories. It gives me something to think about, to ponder, to wonder. Dragon Slayer Audio. Good evening. This is Bill Oberst Jr. Welcome to the Moonlit Library. You'll pardon me if I don't get up. I'm lying on the floor at the library. I I do it from time to time. Do you? You ever lie on the floor and look up? You know, imagine that the ceiling is the floor and the floor is the ceiling. Just to get a new Perspective on things. It's interesting what you can see when you look up. Lying down here on this ancient Egyptian carpet, on this stone floor, looking way up, I can see all three and a half stories of this library, right up to the rib vault the gothic window there that spans almost the entire East Wall. And looking at those three and a half stories of books, I think whoever built this place had a sense of humor. For instance, you see that sort of wooden pier up there on the third floor? (laughs) Way out past the staircase, so you have to use a high ladder just to get up there. The one with the bookshelves built at a crazy angle far out on the jagged edge of the thing, looking down into the abyss of the library, two stories down. So, if you do get up there, you almost have to reach out into space to get to the books. You better watch your balance. Well, that's the section of the library which contains books on fear. (laughs) And Up on the second floor, you see that veiled section of books? It almost shimmers in the moonlight. You don't see it? Just wait. It kinda shows up what it wants to. There, you see? it's gone again. Now, that's the section for books on ghosts. And weirdest of all, Way up near the vaulted ceiling, just under the rose window, there's a blind triforium. A little narrow galley up there, impossibly high. Look up there and you can just see the velvet wall hangings through the arch window. Good solid bookshelves in that little galley. Couple of comfortable overstuffed leather chairs. Low wooden table, bottle of good red wine very inviting, but there's no stairway leading up to it. How the heck do you get up there? Well, you see those little niches in the wall. Those are footholds and handholds. To get up to that room, you've got to climb all the way up the north wall, hand over foot, hard climb, but a good place once you get there. Well, that's the section of the library dedicated to books about hope. And I've been up there tonight getting ready for you. I brought down tonight's reading, and I must admit I had some of that good red wine while I was up there, which is why your old library keeper will just stay here, stretched out on the floor, if you've no objection. Why don't you stretch out, too, in your own place of rest? Turn out the lights, and I'll read to you for a while, just till you are drowsy, a short tale, from Auguste Villiers de Lille Adam's 1891 collection, Contes Cruels, or Cruel Tales. This story is called The Torture by Hope. Many years ago, as evening was closing in, The venerable Pedro Abuez de Spila, the sixth prior of the Dominicans of Segovia and the third grand inquisitor of Spain, followed by a Fra Redemptor, preceded by two familiars of the holy office carrying lanterns, made their way to a subterranean dungeon. The bolt of a massive door creaked, and they entered a foul-smelling room, with the dim light revealed, between rings fastened to the wall, a blood-stained rack, and a brazier of still warm coals. There, on a pile of straw, loaded with fetters, his neck encircled by an iron ring, sat a haggard man of uncertain age, clothed in rags. This prisoner was no other than Rabbi Asser Abarbanel of Ategon, who had been daily subjected to torture for more than a year. And yet he had refused to renounce or recant, and had sustained his courage amid incessant, Torture. With tears in his eyes, and the thought of this resolute soul rejecting salvation, the venerable Grand Inquisitor, approaching the shuddering prisoner, addressed him My son, rejoice. Your trials here below are about to end if in the presence of such obstinacy as yours I was forced to permit with deep regret the use of great severity. My task of fraternal correction has its limits. You, you are the fig tree, which, having failed so many times to bear fruit, at last withered but god alone can judge your soul and perhaps infinite mercy will shine upon you at the last moment we must hope so there are examples so sleep in peace tonight tomorrow you will be included in the Ata de Fe, and you will be exposed to the flames of the everlasting fire. It burns, as you know, only at a distance, my son. <laughs> and death is at least two hours, often three, in coming, on account of the wet, iced bandages with which we protect the heads and the hearts of the condemned there will be 43 of you in the fire. Placed in the last row, you will have time to invoke God and offer to him this baptism of fire, which is of the Holy Spirit. Hope in the light tonight, my son, and rest With these words, having signed to his companions to unchain the prisoner, the grand inquisitor tenderly embraced him. And then came the turn of the Fra Redemptor, who, in a low tone, entreated the prisoner's forgiveness for what he had made him suffer for the purpose of redeeming him, and the two familiars silently kissed him. This ceremony over. The captive was left solitary and bewildered in the darkness. Rabbi Aser Ababinell, with parched lips and worn down by suffering, at first gazed at the closed door with vacant eyes. The closed door. The words unconsciously roused a vague fancy in his mind, The fancy that he had seen for an instant the light of the lanterns through a chink between the door and the wall a morbid idea of hope due to the weakness of his brain it stirred his whole being He dragged himself toward the strange appearance, and then, very gently and cautiously, slipping one finger into the crevice, he drew the door toward him. Oh, marvelous! By an extraordinary accident, the familiar who closed it had turned the huge key an instant before it struck the stone casing, so that the rusty bolt, not having entered the hole, the door again rolled on its hinges. The door was open. The rabbi ventured to glance through the crack. By the aid of a sort of luminous dusk, he distinguished at first a semicircle of walls indented by winding stairs, and opposite to him, at the top of five or six stone steps, a sort of black portal, opening into an immense corridor whose first arches only were visible from below. Stretching himself flat, he crept to the threshold. Yes, it really was a corridor, but endless in length. A wan light illumined it, Lamps suspended from the vaulted ceiling lightened at intervals the dull hue of the atmosphere. The distance was veiled in shadow. Not a single door appeared in the whole extent. Only on one side, the left, heavily grated loopholes sunk in the walls, admitted a light which must be that of evening, for crimson bars at intervals rested on the flags of the pavement— what a terrible silence. His vacillating hope was tenacious, for it was the last hope. Without hesitating, he ventured onto the flagstones, keeping close under the loopholes, trying to make himself part of the blackness of the long walls. He advanced slowly, slowly, "'dragging himself along on his belly, and "'forcing back the cry of pain "'when some raw wound sent a keen pang "'through his whole body. "'Suddenly the sound of a sandaled foot "'approaching reached his ears. "'He trembled violently. "'Fear stifled him. "'His sight grew dim. "'It was over, no doubt. "'It was over. "'He pressed himself into a niche.' And half lifeless with terror, he waited. It was a familiar hurrying along down the corridor, holding in his clenched hand an instrument of torture, a frightful figure. The familiar passed the prisoner, passed swiftly by, and vanished. <sighs> The suspense which the rabbi had endured seemed to have suspended the functions of life, for he lay nearly an hour, unable to move. Fearing an increase of tortures, if he were captured, he thought of returning to his dungeon. But the old hope whispered in his soul that divine, perhaps, which comforts us in our sorest trials. He began to crawl toward the chance of escape. Exhausted by suffering and hunger, trembling with pain, he pressed onward, onward. The tomb-like corridor seemed to lengthen mysteriously while he, still advancing, gazed into the gloom where there must be some avenue of escape. Oh, there must... He again heard footsteps, but this time they were slower and more heavy. The white and black forms of two inquisitors appeared, emerging from the obscurity beyond. They were conversing in low tones and seemed to be discussing some important subject, for they were gesticulating vehemently. At this spectacle... Rabbi Asser Abarbanel closed his eyes. His heart beat so violently that it almost suffocated him. His rags were damp with the cold sweat of agony. He lay motionless by the wall, his mouth wide open under the rays of a lamp. Just opposite to him, the two inquisitors paused under the light of the lamp pursuing their argument one while listening to his companion gazed at the prisoner and beneath that look whose absence of expression the hapless prisoner did not at first notice, he fancied he again felt the burning pincers scorch his flesh he was to be once more a living wound Fainting, breathless, with fluttering eyelids, the prisoner shivered at the very touch of the Inquisitor's floating robe. But, strange, yet natural fact, the Inquisitor's gaze was evidently that of a man deeply absorbed in his intended reply, engrossed by what he was hearing, his eyes were fixed, and they seemed to look at the rabbi without seeing him. In fact, after the lapse of a few minutes, the two gloomy figures slowly pursued their way, still conversing in low tones toward the place whence the prisoner had come. He had not been seen." forward forward he must hasten toward that goal which he fancied absurdly no doubt to be deliverance toward the darkness from which he was now barely 30 paces distant he pressed forward faster on his knees His hands at full length, dragging himself painfully along, and soon entered the dark portion of this terrible corridor. Suddenly, the poor wretch felt a gust of cold air on the hands resting upon the flagstones. The air came from under the little door to which the two walls led. Oh, heaven! If that door should open outward, he passed his hand over it. No bolt, no lock, a latch. <laughs> a latch. <laughs> he started up. The latch yielded to the pressure of his thumb. The door silently swung open before him. The door had opened into spring, liberty, life. It revealed the neighboring fields stretching out toward the Sierras, whose blue lines were relieved against the horizon. Yonder lay freedom. Oh, yonder lay escape. Yes, yes. He would journey all night through the lemon groves whose fragrance now reached him, and once in the mountains he was safe. He inhaled the delicious air. The breeze revived him. His lungs expanded. He felt in his swelling heart the coming forth of Lazarus. And to thank once more the God who had bestowed this mercy upon him, he extended his arms and raised his eyes toward heaven. It was an Ecstasy of joy. Then he fancied he saw the shadow of his arms approach him, and fancied that he felt these shadowy arms enclose, embrace him, fancied that he was pressed tenderly to someone's breast. A tall figure did now actually stand directly before him. He lowered his eyes. He remained motionless, gasping for breath, dazed, with fixed eyes, fairly driveling with terror, horror. He was in the clasp of the grand inquisitor himself, the venerable Pedro Abuez de Spila, who gazed at the prisoner with tearful eyes like a good shepherd who had found his stray lamb. The dark-robed priest pressed the hapless captive to his heart with so fervent an outburst of love that the edges of the monastic haircloth rubbed the Dominican's breast. And while Rabbi Asser Ababanel with protruding eyes gasp in agony in the Eusetic's embrace, vaguely comprehending that all the phases of this fateful evening were only a prearranged torture. A torture of hope. The grand inquisitor, with an accent of touching reproach and a look of consternation, murmured in the prisoner's ear, his breath parched and burning from long-fasting. What, my son, on the eve of salvation, you wished to leave us. My goodness, you know. Lovecraft adored that story. How crushing. Torture by hope. What do you think? What do you think? Is it better to have hoped and lost that hope than never to have hoped at all? Or... Better to remain in despair and not be disappointed. How you doing with hope these days? What's your relationship with hope? you have one anymore? Hey, do you think we're going to be okay? Do you have hope? I'd like to know. Wanted to dream on it. And tomorrow, maybe you can leave me a voicemail, like Des and Scott and Ingrid did this week. That you heard at the top of the show. There's a link to leave a free voicemail from anywhere in the world, right there in your show notes. It's speak pipe.com slash Bill Oberst Jr. I'd really like to hear from you. But that's for tomorrow. For now, the books are all back on the shelves. And the same moon that's streaming in that high east window in this old library is shining down on you in your place of rest. It's very late. Your eyelids are heavy. So rest now. This old library keeper in this old library, high on the edge of a precipice, on the edge of a forest, on the edge of the world, will wish you sweet dreams. You know, I think I'll just sleep right here on the floor. Sweet dreams, my friends. Thanks for the company. Sleep well. And remember, it's always midnight somewhere. and in someone's soul. Good night.